Two brothers, 12 years apart, a few states away, and one shared love for Houston Astros baseball. You're listening to the Stros Bros Podcast. What's up, Astros fans? My name is Jared Huntley. I am Brooks Huntley, the younger brother. And you are listening to the Stros Bros, a podcast dedicated to Houston Astros baseball by two lifelong Astros fans who, as Colin said, happen to be brothers. Brooks, yes. I just realized I already gave away your biggest secret that your real first name is Colin. Yeah, so, so that's going to be the the one and only time that we'll do this on this podcast. From now on, <laughs> I am Brooks. I'm looking into a legal name change in Tennessee. Uh, neither here nor there. Dude, it's going to be pretty hard for me to remember that. I'm just going to be honest with you. So it may not be the only time that that happens, but I will try my best because you're my brother and I care about you. So, All right. Well, just think Brooks Raley, the, uh, the infamous lefty. That we miss so so you really want to be identified with Brooks Raley for the rest of your life? That's the, that's what you're going to go with out of all the all, out of the out of all the Astros players in Astros history. Brooks Raley is who you're going with? Uh, it's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. So yes, okay. He is one of the only like in recent memory one of the only left-handed relievers in Astros history. Yeah, seems like Dusty. like we never have. Yeah, Dusty never has left-handed relievers. Man, I am excited about doing this with you. This is our first ever Stros Bros episode. Um, and this this podcast, for those of you who are joining us, really is just birthed out of uh, a, a love for baseball between Colin and I, specifically Astros baseball. We found ourselves talking Astros baseball all the time. And we just decided, hey, why don't we just start recording ourselves talking about Astros baseball and uh, do something fun, make a podcast, a way for us to kind of hang out do something fun together and also hopefully just provide some some joy and some entertainment for other Astros fans uh, out there this isn't the first time I've done podcasting and so I uh, certainly do not claim to be an expert uh, I am most definitely squarely in the amateur category but I'm like a I'm like a veteran amateur if that's a thing yeah absolutely that's how I feel about most things in life. Uh, I am not a podcaster, but I have done a whole lot of talking. So I figure this would be good. This would go pretty easy for me. Probably I've done a lot of talking too, as well. So you know, we uh, on this podcast, we definitely like to give our opinions. Like I said, we're we're not experts on everything, but usually our opinions are correct, uh, and so we're definitely excited to give them. Uh, we like to have fun, um, and so this is not an incredibly serious podcast. Yes, but we are serious fans and we really we do like to talk uh ball and so we're just excited to get into it man so so man why don't we just start with this let's just start by giving early thoughts on uh the start of the season on how things are going we're actually like it's midway through the fourth game of the season right now as we record they're in the sixth inning playing the white Sox down three to nothing what have been your thoughts so far yeah um so you're lucky because you actually get to watch the games. Uh, if I could have anything my way, I would just get rid of the blackouts once and for all. I'm in Nashville, and apparently that's too close to Chicago to watch them. So I've been listening to the games. Do that many people really watch the White Sox? I Do they know. think that's kind of arrogant, right? They're like thinking that, oh, well, so many people in Nashville want to watch us. We better black out the game. Like, OK, White there's Sox. a lot of Cubs fans here in Nashville, but I don't mm-hmm. see a lot of White Sox fans. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of White Sox fans in Chicago, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so either. But. Yeah, I've I've felt actually really, really all right about the first couple of games. I I had low expectations, uh, for this offense in particular going into the season without Altuve, without Brantley, but seeing some of the guys like I'm so excited about David Hensley and and I hate that he's just getting 
like ignored in the conversation of the second base position. I, f- I feel like everybody's always talking about, you know, what can we do to to get that figured out and get the offense figured out? And like, I think David Hensley is a really probably promising offensive piece. Uh, yeah. He's on base machine. And so far him and Chaz McCormick have been coming up, uh, even though Chaz didn't get to play in either of the gold Jersey games, which is a shame. But yeah, the offense is been actually exceeding my expectations in the first couple of games and the pitching looks solid, you know, not, not as lights out as it was towards the end of last season, but it'll get there. Yeah. You brought up something we'll have to circle back to. And that is what did Chaz do to Dusty Baker in the off season to deserve this? But I agree on David Hensley that I think he's got very mature looking at bats. He doesn't, he doesn't look like a rookie. That's for sure. When he's at the plate, like he's got great plate discipline uh, and he just seems to make good contact with, with the ball. And so I'd love to see him get a real legitimate shot at playing regularly, especially while uh, Altuve is out. I mean, I understand that Dubon is, you know, probably superior defensively. Um, but my, my, uh, you, as you well know, I have voiced my opinion on Dusty playing Dubon so much, and I firmly believe that Dubon is an end of the bench versatility guy who can come in, pinch run at the end of games, be a defensive rep- replacement. He should not be getting more than like ten starts in a season, and like even that's kind of generous. So, yeah, uh, I, yeah, is there some nepotism going on with with Dubon? I think I remember because he's friends with with darren baker yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he's like grew he like they played ball together growing up and so i don't know if there's nepotism going on or what but i don't know dusty seems to like like his guys and and he kind of like a fireable offense i love dusty but it should be a fireable offense as a manager if you're playing consistently a guy that's batting under the mendoza line because he's friends with your son i think that should be i I mean i don't think dusty would say that's why he's playing him obviously i mean i'm sure there's some some legit reasons dusty could point to like you know defensively things like that i don't know maybe there's some maybe there's some like intangible stuff that dubon brings to the table um i don't know so we definitely need an elite defender at the least important defensive position on the field that's (laughs) definitely important yeah, I can sense the sarcasm just dripping from your voice there. Yeah, I, I think, you know, overall, I'm pretty encouraged by the start of the season as well, man. Um, you know, I think Jordan Alvarez has already been doing Jordan things, which has been very exciting. He is hitting the mess out of the ball, uh, which is great. Coming up clutch, man, with that that three-run bases clearing double the other night to take the lead was just uh, so much fun. Um, and the pitching staff's looking really good. Um, you know, with the exception of um Phil Maton earlier <laughs> in this current game. Uh, but yeah, I think overall it's been it's been encouraging to start. Christian Javier's looked awesome. Brian Abreu, man, this man. I am encouraged by he what I'm seeing out of him. Scary, man. He I can't even imagine facing that guy at the plate. He is just a frightening presence. So you said somebody's there's chatter you heard about them wanting to start to talking about stretching him back out as a starter. Where'd you hear that? Uh, I was hearing that during the off season quite a bit. Cause he was originally in the organization as a starter. We remember like mm-hmm. back in, I think it was like 2018, 2019, he came up a couple times and, and really struggled. Um, and then he figured something out as a reliever and he's got that, you know, gas, uh, that high velocity gas. Um, he's able to scare guys over there, but it, I don't know if that translates to, uh, you know, five, six innings of work. Um, but I have heard rumblings, and that was before Ronel Blanco started to come through the ranks, that maybe they were going to transition him into like a Christian Javier type role, 
where he'd be taking two, three innings and slowly stretching out over a couple seasons. Mm. I'm torn on it, man, because if that stuff could translate to a starting pitcher, that would be awesome. But also he could be one of the most elite like setup slash closers in, in the game. Yeah, I think my tendency as I've thought about this right now is to lean towards if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And honestly, we, you know, with especially with the emergence of Ronel Blanco and how promising he looks right now, I, I think you've already got guys like him that can be brought up if one of your starters goes down. I mean, we've already got great depth. McCullers, we need to remember, is still uh, alive and and plays baseball when he's not injured. Hopefully he's going to come back at some point. And then you've got uh, Blanco. You've even got guys like Brandon Belak that could come up and give you spot starts. So I just don't think there'd be much room for Abreu right now to be able to, to even play in the major leagues. I just think he's more valuable in a high leverage role out of the bullpen right now. And honestly, like it's getting to the point where, I mean, you've got to have him as one of your, either your seventh or eighth inning guy at the least. Obviously he's not going to unseat Presley right now, unless Presley like massively struggled or something like that. But yeah, yeah uh, he's got some great stuff. Like man. They signed Montero it, that deal that they gave him, which was ridiculous. It doesn't matter how well Montero pitches. This I don't year. understand why they, I still don't understand why they did that. Even if he's one of the best relievers in the game for the whole season, that's still just a ridiculous contract. Yeah. It, it seems like they gave him that contract because they expect him to be the closer of the future after Presley. Um, uh, but I would put my money on Brian Abreu at this point. Out of all the guys. So what you want when you have a closer is you want to feel like, okay, this game is over when this guy's coming in. Like, you want the other team to feel like, yeah, okay, we don't really have a chance anymore. And the, I'll be honest, out of all the arms in our bullpen, the guy I feel that the most with right now is probably Brian Abreu. Mm-hmm. Like, Presley gets saves, but he always seems to make me, like, clinch. You know what I mean? Like, whenever he's, like, in the game, he, like, he'll get a save, but he'll, like, like usually walk a guy and then Never there's a pass ball and then he, yeah. And then he gets like an infield hit against him or something. And there's like runners on first and third with no outs. And somehow he, you know, ends up saving the game. But with a Brayu, it's just like, he just like drops the hammer and it's game yeah. over. Yep. So yeah, I'm excited about, uh, about Brian Abreu. Um, You know, I, we have in our show notes, we were going to talk about Christian Javier as well. Yeah. I, I did find uh, a stream online of the game that Christian pitched in the other day. And there was one, I can't, it was probably the third or fourth inning. I was really intrigued watching his pace because he's, you know, with the pitch clock and everything, uh, he's moving at an even faster pace than he usually does, which he pitches Mm -hmm. at a pretty decent pace even before the clock. Um, And I noticed with him, particularly on his fastball, there was one odd bat. It it was hilarious. And I I can't remember who he was facing. It might've been Tim Anderson. And um, he lost his command entirely for this whole at bat. And struck the guy out on like four pitches anyway. Like he he missed the zone by like three feet, three pitches in a row. And whoever he was facing, I can't remember who it was, whiffed every single time. <laughs> and then the next at bat, his command came right back. And it's really interesting that Christian Javier's, you know, uh, apparently so deceptive that he can throw pitches in the dirt and strike guys out. Um, he's just even when he's not on, he's on. He's just he just got him psyched out. I guess they're just like they don't know what's gonna come out. It's like the invisible, right? Yep. I yeah. wish I kept a note of, of which at bat that was because it <laughs> stuck out to me when I was watching it. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, obviously think that, you know, Javier's been incredible. I, what are your, 
this is kind of jumping ahead in the show notes, but I've I've actually saw one national writer, I can't remember who it was, who like gave uh, a hobbier a vote as his pick for the Cy Young Award winner for the American League this year. You think that's realistic? I honestly, and we'll get to this later. We'll talk about yeah. uh, you know, who we think is going to be winning awards this season, if anybody on the Astros. But I, I think Christian Javier is absolutely a front runner candidate if he stays healthy and, and does what he's capable of doing. I think he has the stuff to win multiple Cy Youngs. And yeah. I'm glad we have him locked up for the long term because he's going to be terrorizing the league for the next several seasons. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So uh, as far as you know, just other thoughts early on in the season, there's a couple of things. One. I just this just popped into my head actually as I'm watching the game. I just watched uh, Phil Maton go out for his second inning of work, and I think Dusty's done that the past three games now. He's having relievers go out for their second inning of work in a row. He had Stanek do it, I believe, the previous game, and there's somebody else who. Do you remember who did it the game before? Uh, yeah. Um, he had somebody. I don't remember who it was. Anyways, it was one of our. It was just one of our, you know, middle relievers, and that's kind of interesting. I'm I'm not sure why he's why he's doing that, like why he's having him go out. That doesn't typically go well whenever you send out relievers for this their second inning of work. Um, but anyways. my guess is he's banking on the amount of depth that we have in the organization for pitching. And mm-hmm. he's wanting to save the arms of our high leverage guys throughout the season. And if, you know, one of these middle reliever guys gets burned out, we've got somebody waiting to Sugarland to to come up and fill their spot. So I, I figure he's probably just banking on his his depth. Yeah, I don't know. I don't always understand uh, why Dusty does the things that he does. I mean, he's the man's got a ring. He's been a very good uh, manager, uh, but he does make some interesting decisions sometimes. I, you, you know uh, very well. Uh, one of the things uh, that um, frustrates me about Dusty is the the lineups, and I'm not the only Astros fan that thinks this way. This is kind of like a you know out in uh, in internet world it's a topic of conversation regularly uh, dusty's lineup shenanigans mm-hmm. so i alluded to this earlier i have no idea what chas mccormick did to dusty in the off season um but dusty sat that man for the first two games he didn't get in a bat until the third game of the season he was like starting every game in the world series and i'm like and he's throwing jake myers out there who looks like he can't hit the broadside of a barn and I'm like, what is going on? Like, wh- I don't understand why. <laughs> I honestly, this goes back even before this season too, though. Like even in last season, Dusty refused to play Jazz McCormick unless he absolutely had to. Uh, <laughs> he hates Jazz McCormick. And I and I have no idea why. Um, I understand unless it's the playoffs. And then it's like, he feels like, well, I guess I have to play Chaz because he's better. Yeah. You know, but it's <laughs> exactly. like in the regular season, it's like, like I'm not playing Chaz. Yeah. I'm like, why not? It's uh, Chaz is another guy that, you know, everybody's talking about in the Astros community. I always hear chatter on, on Twitter and things like that about who's going to be the center fielder of the future. And it's probably going to be Drew Gilbert. I think that's what everybody wants. Um, uh, but pretty McCormick, early. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, a high draft pick and he's got a lot of promising stuff and, and he played yeah. in, in college ball. But Chaz is a really like more than serviceable starting yeah. fielder. Like yeah. he's better than, you know, at least. 10 other center fielders that are starting every day in the league and he can't hit right-handed pitching that well, but you know, hopefully he'll make some incremental uh, changes there. What what can Jake Myers do and Dubon do that Chaz cannot do? Can somebody tell me that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, Chaz can't hit right-handed pitching, but Jake can't hit anything. (laughs) I was going to say neither can Jake Myers and Dubon definitely can't hit right-handed. Dubon can't hit any pitching. So a lot of people would say that 
that Jake is a better defender, but uh, Chaz is a great defender. And barely. You, you, can't, you can't chalk it up to one play, but he made that incredible play in the World Series. Yeah. And he's a good defender. And at that point, like that marginal defensive edge that Myers might have is not worth an automatic out every time he's at the plate. Absolutely not. Chaz is not a... Uh, a, a you know a defensive minus out there. I, I would say he's an above average defender. He's not elite. He's not great, but he's an above average defender in center field. Yep. And Myers might be a little bit more above average, but definitely not. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't it's, understand the, the line of shenanigans. The regular the regular gripes that we have about all this. I, I just thought it was interesting. You know, Dusty seems to be like a player's manager. That's always been his reputation. And and I know we're hating on Dusty so much, but. Well, I'm not hating on him. I'm just, I mean, I like I said, like he's a World Series winner. He definitely is way better at his job than I could ever possibly be. But our job as fans is to sit here and um complain. Are, and complain. Yeah, basically. Let's, is that, maybe we should just call this the Astros complaining podcast. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm just. But, no, my, my biggest thing with, with the whole deal was. You know, Chaz clearly he had like a like an above 900 OPS against left-handed pitching last year, mm-hmm. and the second game of the season we were up against a lefty, and it was our gold jersey game. We get two of those games, and Chaz was instrumental in winning us a World Series, and he didn't get to play at the ring ceremony game or the gold jersey game against a left-handed pitcher, and that doesn't make any sense at all. That just feels disrespectful, honestly. The only do you think it's possible that Chaz was like under the weather or injured they just didn't, never said anything if he was uh, they should have said something if he was it, that's the only way i have. Really excuse it is if he was uh you know sore yeah. or something like that yeah i don't know i it's literally that's that kind of stuff is mysterious to me um but uh, i mean yeah i don't know uh we could keep beating this dead horse but the reality is, is i don't know if we'll ever understand it uh, at least we can be fairly certain, though, that in the playoffs, Dusty's going to play the best players because it did seem like the lineup shenanigans kind of came to an end yeah. once we got into the playoffs last year and he was putting the best lineup out there. What's your uh, what's your nice. favorite Dusty lineup quirk? Because mine is how he will play. He will place a guy based off of position in the lineup. So, yeah, you know, well, that's how Tuve bats first. So Dubon's leading off for the rest of the season. That's that's Dusty logic right there. Yeah, I mean, well, and to Dusty's credit, he has not done that w- this year. So he's got Pena leading off. And so, like, when Dubon started the other night, he was in the nine hole. So maybe, maybe somebody got to Dusty, yeah. uh, you know, so maybe our complaining does some good after all. Yeah, I saw yeah, some. Maybe uh, we can make a difference. Someone on Twitter said, you know, you're in trouble when Maldonado's not batting ninth. <laughs> yeah. That's true. But I mean, it hasn't been that bad. Like I would say, considering that Altuve and Brantley are both out, uh, the offensive output, you know, this series hasn't been horrible, although they're not, I mean, they've only scored one run tonight and it's, you know, in the seventh inning or eighth inning or something. And they, they got, you know, shut down pretty good in game one. They, you know, it's interesting is they're getting to the White Sox bullpen in the series and they are not, they can't hit the starting pitchers. Like Mm -hmm. Dylan Cease is Dylan Cease. He was filthy, but they couldn't hit Lance Lynn. They couldn't hit Mike Clevenger today. Um, so I don't know what's going on w- with that. They're having a real tough time hitting the starters. I feel like our offense is notoriously slow starting. That's just, uh, that seems to be the thing. And you were talking about, we don't even have right. this in the notes, but Alex Bregman, mm-hmm. uh, he always starts slow. I There's yeah. something about it, the way he thinks about the game maybe, and it just takes him a while to get his his mindset right and his approach right. 
but he always starts off slow and then he gets hot when it matters. So, so that is why we love Alex Bregman. But yeah, it, all of the guys save Yornon uh, that are supposed to be knocking the cover off the ball. And Pena's looking pretty good out of the out of the gate as well. But all the guys that we're supposed to be depending on are, are a little cold right, right off the gate. Yep, they definitely are. All right, so let's let's shift topics here, man. We uh, we wanted to talk about some of the rule changes and just talk about uh, how we think that might impact uh, this uh, the performance for the Astros, you know individual Astros players this season. Um, I think you know overall, I I tend to agree with the general sentiment that I think the rule changes have been pretty good. Um, I think the pace of the game is definitely pretty quick. It doesn't seem like the pitch clock is, you know, messing with the integrity of the game or anything like that. Um, so I've, I've been in favor of it so far. I've liked it. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the pitch clock and, and it does sound like Robert Manfred is, is actually open to sort of ironing out some of the, the kinks in the rules throughout the season, even like even mid season, they might make some adjustments to the rules. Yeah. Which would be great. Uh, you know, hopefully they're listening to player feedback. Like one one aspect of the uh, of the pitch clock that's weird to me. It doesn't really make any sense. I I don't even quite understand what's happening. But I've seen it happen a couple times already, where uh, a batter is in the box, but he is given a strike because he wasn't supposedly ready for the pitch. What, what does ready mean? Yeah, and that feels a little too subjective to me. And in my opinion, if you're standing in the box and you're not ready to hit the pitch and it goes right past you, that's on you. Um. So I think if you're in the box, you sh- there's no way they should be calling uh, violations on the batters if they're standing in the box. I think that's a little silly. Yeah, I don't, I don't fully understand the the nuances of the rule yet. Um, and it happened to Devers some... the other day in the Red Sox game. It was just yeah. it made no sense to me. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some kinks to be worked out, but I think overall, uh, the intention of the rule has been to speed up the pace of the game. It's obviously doing that. It's it's making the action a little bit, um, uh, you know have a, a better tempo so i like it um i think my personal opinion is that it's going to ultimately end up helping the hitters um i could be wrong on that uh it may end up being a wash because it may end up introducing advantages to both the, the hitters and the pitchers and maybe it'll just all come out in the wash um but i personally think that you know the pitch clock's gonna ultimately lead to more runs i definitely think like the bigger bases are already leading to more uh, you know, stolen bases and and the pitch clock also because you've only got the two, you know, pickoff attempts you can make. Just yep. watching these first few games of the season, you're seeing guys be able to get walking leads, steal a lot of bases. Uh, and and with guys, when you've got a runner on second base, they're in direct line of sight to the pitch clock. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically, if you get down, you know, if the pitcher, you know, they're able to watch the pitch clock jump. wind down and they can time their jump. And so we've already seen a couple of steals of third, which I think is, I'm here for it. I like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's fun. I think it'll lead to more runs. It's going to lead to more action plays. So I yeah. like it. Hopefully not more injuries. Uh, I was a little nervous when Jeremy Pena stole second the other day and was looking a little uncomfortable. Well, I mean, maybe if the White Sox would stop throwing baseballs at our players' hands, that would be great because that's <laughs> happened like three times. That's true. Yeah, that does keep happening, and we keep getting flashbacks to Jose Altuve in the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, Chaz got hit in the hand today. Pena got hit in the hand twice yesterday yeah. on pitches. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. Oh, yeah, I think can the- we just talk about real quick how yeah. how great it is that we got to hang a big fat L on Joe Kelly yesterday? He took oh, the wait, loss. It- what? Uh, Joe Kelly is such a loser. I'm just so glad that we were able to give him the big L that he deserved. 
I'm uh, even more glad that Joe Kelly's book is uh, not selling any copies. It's from, not. No. Um, <laughs> so we went on this big press tour, and well, we should Nobody we cares about listening uh, to the opinions and gripes of a mediocre reliever in Major League Baseball. Yeah, he's. Um, you know, I don't want to give him any more time of day than. Uh, you know, than this, but I just wanted to give a passing comment that I'm very glad that he got to take that L, uh, and then be serenaded by Houston Astros fans as he walked off the mound. So that was pretty yeah. good. And he's in the same good. division as Correa now, so he gets to spend a lot of QT with with Correa for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. That's right. If he's in the league for a couple, the next couple of years, <laughs> I think I think his time is short. So, what about um the shift? What are your thoughts on how that's going to impact specific Astros fans? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about Kyle Tucker came really close last year to a 30-30 season, and I think a 30-30 season is probably inevitable this year for him. Uh, and that's actually, the more I've thought about that, part of me hopes he, he doesn't have that in his head too much. I, I think Kyle Tucker can absolutely hit 30 home runs, and you know he stole, I think, 25 bases last year. So he can steal 30 with with the new uh, the new bases and the pitch clock and all that. But with the changes to the shift, a guy like Kyle Tucker, I think, would benefit a lot from not focusing on trying to elevate the ball so much anymore. Because, you know, before the shift as a, as a left-handed hitter, you kind of had to elevate the ball. Because if you hit it in the infield, you were going to get, especially if you were a pool hitter, it was an automatic out, even if you hit it hard. Um, I would like to see Kyle Tucker. I, I feel like I see him fly out a lot. Um, and I think that's because he had to, you know, adapt and, and try to elevate the ball a lot. I would love to see him try to get on top of it a little bit more and, you know, just hit for average, like get on base, rip it through the middle. Um, you don't always have to be hitting home runs. I, I think he can hit 30 home runs and hit for average now if he uh, adjusts his approach. Yeah, I definitely think that, um, you know, Tucker's capable of going 30, 30. Uh, even if he doesn't get there, I think he's going to get pretty close um, and you know, uh, if he does get there, it's gonna, I think, make it even more unlikely that we're going to be able to resign him, uh, in, in the near future. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think Tucker's going to benefit though with, from the shift, uh, from the ban on the shift, obviously Jordan's going to benefit from that. Um, I feel like the ban on the shift is gonna, you know, to your point about, you know, Tucker, you know, kind of going the other way, squaring the ball up a little bit more. Uh, I'm not sure that the rule changes are going to really encourage that. Uh, if if anything, I feel like they may encourage him to just kind of double down on, you know, the way that he's always swung it because, um, you know, he can, can, you know, it's not as much of a detriment to try to pull the ball anymore for for guys like him. So, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll sure. see what happens. Um, yeah, and you know, on the flip side of that, um, for a pitcher, there was a lot of talk in in the off season whenever this started to come around. You know, what is this going to do to a guy like Framber Valdez, who is notoriously a ground ball pitcher? And I think even from just like the early, just the one start that we've seen from Framber, it, it became pretty clear to me that without the shift, it's not going to have any effect on Framber because he's a ground ball pitcher, but he's a soft contact ground ball pitcher. Right. And, you know, when the ball's not getting hit that hard, even if you're not in the shift, we've got good enough defenders uh, up the middle to make those plays. Uh, Jeremy Pena can get to a soft, softball up the middle and you know the greatest second defensive second baseman of all time Mauricio Dubon can get to those uh when he's getting the start as well uh and then I think you know David Hensley could literally just lay flat on the ground and cover the entire infield and it could just you know 
hit him in the in the body and he could just knock it down. <laughs> so yeah, David Hensley's definitely very tall. Very tall. So that helps out his range quite a bit. So yeah. I uh yeah, I think that um Fromber's gonna be just fine, you know, with his ground ball game. Uh I don't I don't think the the lack of the shift is gonna bother him at all. So um and then you know one of the other one of the other pitchers that you know everybody was talking about could have been affected by the rule changes was Luis Garcia and uh, you know having to change up his routine not being able to rock the baby uh, definitely seemed like in the spring training and and in the World Baseball Classic he was doing just fine um, he had a pretty solid outing today uh, ended up having a couple runs charged to his uh, to his ledger but I mean overall. Uh, you know, he did, he was, he didn't have his best stuff, but I definitely think Luis Garcia is going to be fine. I expect, you know, similar, if not better output from him this year than he had last year. I think Luis Garcia is going to have a really big season. I think he's going to step up big time. Honestly, I think as sad as I am to see the rock, the baby go, uh, mainly just because like, I think about being a kid and loving the game of baseball. Mm -hmm. And if I was an Astros fan as a kid right now, I would be in the backyard, you know, doing my best Luis Garcia rock the baby. Sure personation every day and and that's sad for that reason but i honestly think his mechanics look a little smoother mm-hmm. without the rock the baby it's mm-hmm. just a less uh off balance i guess not so much head movement and things like that so i think he's going to take a big step up and, and he's always been an underrated pitcher he's an, an innings eater uh th- that's one of the things i like about both him and and Fromber is they both seem to be really durable um and, I, and i'm glad we have at least a couple of guys in the rotation that you're just like pretty certain aren't going to spend any time on the IL throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, same with Jose Urquidy. Like I think mm-hmm. Urquidy, he's had some time on the IL in the past, but he always bounces back quick. So we do have a pretty durable core of pitchers. Yeah. By the way, who was, as you think back up to your childhood, who was the pitcher that you tried to emulate? Who was a pitcher that you tried to emulate their windup? Can you think of any? This was, this is going to date us, by the way. But. Uh, yeah, actually, I was watching a video about him last night. It was Dontrell Willis. Ah, uh, yeah. He had a funky one, that's for I, sure. He had that big old leg kick. Yeah, man. Do you remember uh, Hideo Nomo? You remember who, oh. Do you know who that is? No. No? Yeah, he played for the Dodgers, a couple others. He also had this this funny delivery where he almost like, once he once he got up on his leg kick, he like turned like completely around the other way, almost like where he was looking at the center field wall and 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 came back around. It was yeah, I'll have to show you sometime. It was pretty wild. Um but we need yeah, more I funky would... windups in the game. We need more submariners. We need some uh, deceptive arm movement back in the game. That's what I want to see. Well, I mean, we had some until Rob Manfred took away the rock the baby. So <laughs> I felt like, yeah, he's taking away all of our fun. No, it's not that big of a deal. So I still think you can have like funky windups um, as long as they don't take forever or something, you know? Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think overall the uh, the rule changes, I think are really, really good for the game. And yeah. I don't see any of the rule changes particularly hurting any Astros players. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it, at worst case scenario, it might just be a wash. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What about batting stances? Whose batting stance did you emulate? It was Bagwell for me. I was yeah, I still yeah, do that when I play softball. Me too. 
You know, you know, like one of the one of the ones that was a lot of fun though was well, you probably don't remember him. He's probably you know before your yeah, he's definitely before your time. But John Cruck, John Cruck would like stand completely upright with his legs like almost completely together. He had a big old like wad of chew, you know, in and like long hair, and he just looked like he was gonna like yeah, I don't know. He was, he was just a funny looking guy. So he looked very menacing at the plate. Um, and so yeah, I'll, I'll, always good to talk about some fun batting stances. All right. So let's, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about extensions. So obviously there's a bunch of, and this is, this is one of the topics that's always most interesting to me. I love, um, just talking about roster management lineups, you know, things like that. Um, team building. So we've got a lot of key players that are, uh, up for extensions in the not too distant future. Um, so out of, well, let's, let's just name the four big ones, uh, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, and Fromber Valdez. Those are the four names being talked about a lot. I think Tucker and Fromber are, you know, obviously the, the, the big ones, um, that are going to need to, something's going to give sooner for them than for Bregi and Altuve. So out of those guys, who do you want to see get an extension the most? Uh, well, quick sidebar, I would like to see Brian Abreu get extended before he, uh, plays too well mm. and, uh, is that's, that's but. really smart. Yeah. Come on, Dana Brown. Let's get him. Uh, what do you think for a break? Well, see, this is a bit loud. Here's if Abreu's agent thinks that they can, that Abreu is going to be stretched out as a starter at some point, then that's going to completely change the negotiations. If the Astros view him as a reliever long-term, they're only going to pay him so much. But if Abreu's, you know, people think uh, we think he can be a starter, then that's going to change things. But anyway, like three seasons or four seasons of team control left. So it'd be interesting. But anyway, from from the guys we were talking about, I think Altuve is kind of out of the even the discussion. I think Altuve is getting extended no matter what. I don't see a world where Altuve doesn't take an extension and probably a team friendly extension. Uh, He's been very vocal about how he wants to stay in Houston. And that's not a surprise at all. He's he's going to go down in history as the greatest Astro that ever played for the team. Um, and he's beloved. That's a, that's a kind of a hot take right there. I think Jose Altuve is the greatest. Astro I mean, I, I mean, it's definitely arguable, but there's a man named Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio who played for the Astros and even Lance Berkman. Have you ever looked at Lance Berkman's career OPS? Incredible it's numbers. Pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. So, um yeah but anyways but, but I, I think love you, have, you can look at numbers but you also have to look at what a guy means to a franchise and Altuve sure. has meant more to this franchise than any single player ever has mm. uh, so i think he gets extended for sure mm-hmm. and uh, him and dana brown have both been vocal about that so yep. between the other guys i have been who do you want to see extended the most like out of all of them like if you could if you could only pick one outside of Altuve, yeah if one from the other three i would love to see Part of me wants to say Bregman, but I think it, my honest answer is Fra- Fromber. Like, I want to mm-hmm. see Fromber Valdez pitch for the Astros, uh, like, well into his 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's durable. Like I said, he's not going to get injured. He's going to give you, he's probably still just going to keep getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got the kind of stuff that ages well. Like, he's yeah. he's a guy I would love to see long term. Of course, I want to say Tucker, but I just don't think it's realistic. I, I gave up on Tucker's uh, long term future with the Astros last year. Oh, I'm not. I haven't given up on it. I, I think it's still possible, but um, yeah. I mean, f- some of the things I've heard, you know, listening to you know media reports, though, don't sound promising right now. Like every time I keep 
every time I've heard about it, I keep hearing things like they're, you know, extremely far apart uh, on negotiations, which makes me a little bit nervous. I'm like, man, he's probably looking for like a 300 mil, you know, kind of contract. Um, but if I had to pick one out of all those, I would actually say Tucker. Um, that's who I want to see extended the most. Um, I'm not saying the Astros should give him like 325 million if that's what he's asking for. If that's what he's asking for, then I understand letting him walk. I don't. I don't think you should pay him that much. But I'm hoping that we could get him extended. I'd love to see, you know, the Astros, you know, extend him, you know, something along the lines of like what Austin Riley got with the Braves, you know, maybe a little bump from that, maybe, you know, a, a, you know, like a you know, nine year, $225 million contract or something like that. Um, but I think if we want to retain guys like that, Jim Crane's going to have to go beyond the six year, or we're literally going to watch Kyle Tucker's walk out the door every year. And I just don't know how long we can sustain that. Like if we keep letting all of our homegrown guys walk, I, at some point this window is going to close hard and fast. Well, of, of the four guys you mentioned, I think at least two of them have to stay in some capacity. Um, that yeah. would be the way to go. And I, I have been thinking a little bit about, you know, the organizational depth that we have, the guys that we have coming up the ranks. Who? It, well, we have Drew Gilbert, who I, I think is going to be. Yeah, but that's such a wild card, man. Like, if you're banking on Drew Gilbert coming through, like, he's, what, in A ball right now? We've got Drew Gilbert. We have Justin Dearden. We have... Uh, <laughs> Dearden's a guy. I, but does it... Think about the just who do we have in the infield coming up through the system? Uh, we have nobody, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I, I can't think of a single like even somewhat unless Pedro Leon ends up playing in the infield. But you know he hasn't exactly been you know lighting setting the world on fire in the minors either. So I think uh, Yanner Diaz is probably a guy that they're going to start experimenting with in <laughs> in the outfield as well. Um, and so I, I think we have a lot of organizational depth for outfielders coming up. We have nothing in the that's a, that's what I think about this plan. I don't like it. I don't like it. It doesn't. If we're like betting our future on Drew Gilbert and Yiner Diaz, I'm like, no, thank you. Please resign Kyle Tucker. That's how I'm. That's how I'm feeling. Yeah, because we're our farm system's weak, man. It just is. It, our farm system's pretty weak, and maybe Drew Gilbert turns into something. But like, how many rabbits are we going to be able to pull out of our hat? How many times are we going to keep seeing Jeremy Pena's, you know, come from out of nowhere again and again and again? Like at some point, I feel like the luck's going to run out because we've done a good job of developing guys. But man, like it just seems like the cupboard's gotten more and more bare. I'm 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 nervous about letting guys like Kyle Tucker walk. I just think it's gonna, the chickens are going to come home to roost at some point. I'm more nervous about uh, who would replace Bregman than I am about who would replace Tucker personally. Really? I just yeah. I, I can't think of a single guy that could replace Bregman in our in our system. Yeah. I, I think you could sign a free agent to replace him. I, I think Tucker's a more dynamic player. Bregman has not been a superstar since 2019. Um he's he's a good player. Um I don't think he's a great player. He's not an all-star. He has not been playing at an all-star level uh really since 2019. And I feel like Bregman a lot of times um, you know. I mean, I want him to be that player. I hope he is. I'm rooting for him. Um, I love, you know, the attitude he plays the game with. He's a hard worker. He prepares. I know he's probably just as frustrated as anyone that, you know, um, he has not had the production that he expects out of himself. Um, but at this point, Kyle Tucker's younger. Um, he is really a five-tool player in every sense of the word. 
And those guys just don't grow on trees. Like they're very rare, which is probably why he wants $300 million, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So I will say if the organization, and I know it's different guys in the front office at this point, but if the organization lets Kyle Tucker walk, it would be funny, I guess, to look back on because of how much belief they instilled in him when he was struggling to come up through the system in the early years. Mm -hmm. uh, there were so many times that his name was coming up in trade negotiations. And I remember hearing that he was, you know, a non-negotiable. There was no way they were dealing Kyle Tucker as a prospect. And, uh, you know, it took him a little longer to come into himself the way that everybody thought he would, but then he did. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe a guy like Jim Crane, who's been there the whole time, uh, would remember the days that, you know, we, we held on to Kyle Tucker for a reason. So maybe we should keep him in the system. I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe so. It's going to be, uh, I think it's going to probably take some sort of miracle for Kyle Tucker to, to stick around just because I think the money he's going to ask for is, is going to be the kind of money that Jim Grain's just not going to be comfortable with, which well, it's, it stinks to, to say that. I, I, I wish that wasn't the case, but I'm afraid it might be. I'm, I'm hoping that Jim Crane is really enjoying winning right now, and it seems like he is. Uh, and he's going to have to come to terms eventually with the reality that the, the market has shifted. And these long-term deals, I don't like it. I think it's bad for the game. But the reality is these long-term extensions in, in free agency deals for you know hundreds of millions of dollars are absolutely like par for the course at this point. And um, hopefully Jim Crane opens up his mind a little. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We'll definitely be something to keep an eye on. I don't know if that we're going to see a whole lot of news on that just because I, I think they're not negotiating uh, during the season. So it may just be something we're going to have to wait until the off season to find out. Uh, obviously, the trade deadline, once we approach that, that could you know have some bearing on all this, depending on how the team is doing. But lots to keep an eye on. Um, before we wrap up, I did. Uh, I feel like I need to mention this. Um, I, I texted you about this earlier. I want to know why the Minnesota Twins do not have a retractable roof on the new stadium that they built like recently. Like Target Field is not very old. It's within the past eight or nine years. So I know they had retractable roof technology. And like the Astros are going to, to be playing there for Minnesota's opening day. Starting, uh, They're starting a series on Thursday. And the high is going to be 34 and the low is going to be 20. Why in the heck would you build a stadium in Minnesota and not put a retractable roof on it, knowing that it is cold as all get out in April and October in Minnesota? Uh, you know, I would presume that uh, they weren't anticipating to play any October baseball and they just didn't <laughs> it April mattered very much. Just kind of mail it in. Yeah, it's like we don't we don't really care about baseball in April, October. We're just going to build snowman, eh? And oh, that's Canada. So I, I don't know who their, uh, who their owner is, but, you know, somebody said, sir, it's going to cost uh, $750 million to put this roof on this stadium. Do you want to do it? Uh, we're not going to be playing in October anyway. So build some snowmen and go ice fishing, don't you know? We'll play baseball in May. <laughs> yep. That's, oh, that's man. Best guess. What's uh, that? That's my best guess. And you yeah. did say that you were going to mention this, and I was just going to throw this in as a throwaway. I miss Christian Vasquez so much, and I wish he was on our team right now. Uh, I understand why he's not, but I miss, I miss him. him too. But I don't think we should pay a backup catcher $10 million a year. So <laughs> Minnesota's paying him $10, $10 million a year to be their starter, which is he, that's a great deal. Uh, but, you know, Astros aren't going to pay somebody $10 million a year to be a backup, and nor should they. So, man, uh, it's been a great first episode. 
Yeah, I, and before we before we head off, I want to I want to answer one last question for each yeah. of us, just one like send off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and lock it in right now. First episode of of the season. If any Astro is winning any season award this year for the league, uh, who and what are they winning? Um, I mean, I want to see Jordan Alvarez win the MVP um, because I just want somebody besides Shohei Otani to win it. Shohei Otani is a great player, but literally everybody picks Shohei Otani to win the MVP. And so that tells me that if Jordan wins it, he had an incredible year. And I want to see him stay healthy for an entire year and just absolutely smash the American League to bits and pieces and hit like, you know, 314 with 54 homers and 137 RBIs or something. That'd be so sweet. What if Jordan broke the uh, the home run record this season right after Aaron Judge? That'd be great. Just another another thing to make fun of Yankee fans for. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. That'd be pretty awesome. Anyway, well, uh, yeah. So Jordan for the MVP. That that's definitely my my dark horse. I think uh, you know hopefully Shohei gets dealt to the NL and Jordan can win MVPs for seasons to come because uh, Shohei definitely feels like a lock every year for the MVP unless somebody just breaks a record like like this. Uh, I would say I I wanted to say the MVP for for Jordan. Um, I think Kyle Tucker's definitely going to be in the MVP race this year. Uh, I think this is my my prediction is that Christian Javier is going to win the Cy Young. I think Christian Javier wins the Cy Young. My sub prediction is that even though you're not high on it, I think Alex Bregman finishes top five in MVP voting this year. Ooh, that's a spicy hot take. Uh, I mean, I'd be I'd be stoked if that happened, uh, but I would also be very surprised uh, if that happened. But hey, man, let's you know, I'm here for it. Let's do it. Come on, Alex. Um, well, unfortunately, it's it's looking like we're going to be beginning the season at two and two unless something miraculous happens in the bottom of the ninth, because we are now down six to one. White Sox still have men on base. Seth Martinez is getting shelled right now. Jordan um, is probably preparing to set this game upside down. Hey, that'd be awesome. But, you know, that's all right. It's early on in the season. So, well, hey, uh, we want to thank you listeners for joining us for our first ever episode. And we would love it if you'd do us a couple of favors to help us out. Just get the word out about this new podcast. First of all, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get new episodes when they drop. Right now, we're planning on dropping a new episode every other week because Brooks and I are both pretty busy. I uh, got a lot going on in life. That's what we can commit to right now. Um, so, but we're, you know, having fun with it. So, uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And then if you wouldn't mind sharing this episode, if you've got friends, family members that are Astros fans, share it on social media, uh, send them the link via email, uh, and, uh, give us a five-star rating as well on the platforms. Just, those are just ways you can help get the word out about, uh, this new Astros podcast called the Stros Bros. We want to thank you guys, uh, for joining us. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, go Strohs.